recording, everyone. Hooray. Like, aren't you, aren't you guys happy? Well, you, you hung up on us the last time, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust you anymore. Um, welcome to another episode of Kaiju Transmissions. Myself, I'm Bird, and I'm joined by my host, Matt, my co-host. Say hello. Say hi. Hey, to, everybody. Yeah, say hi to all, those, all the nice people out there. Hello, nice people. And joining us today, we have a special guest who, if you are familiar with my other podcast, If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It, um, and also Days of Future Podcast, which is a podcast all about the X-Men, I have with me Trev. Trevor, Trev3K. All of them. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, I know last time I was here, there's a little bit of miscommunication, but I'm fi- I'm happy to finally be here to talk about Godzilla versus Mega Gyrus. No, right, once finally... again, no, no, that's again? not that's not what. No, you're wrong again. <sighs> Damn it. We're not doing right. it. We're we're not talking about Mega Gyrus. That's inappropriate for for the top the content of this episode. <sighs> All right. Well, one of these times it's going to be right. No, does it no. <laughs> Does it feel good to be back on on a on a something that's a, an episode that'll be a little bit less contentious, a little a little less? Uh... Well, yeah, I mean, it feels good. <laughs> I'm more concerned for you guys. I noticed you said say hello to the nice people. I feel like you guys got a lot of uh, you know glad handing to do now and kind of getting yourself back into some good graces. But <laughs> yes, for me, it's, I'm not so concerned about it. Yes, of course. <laughs> Trev joined us on the Shin Godzilla review. And yeah, if you're a huge Shin Godzilla fan, you probably remember me as the guy you really hated during that episode. <laughs> we all thought it sucked. So I just save you the. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, I found it in my heart to give it a two out of five. It's a solid. It's a solid one out of five. Let's be. Let's all be honest. I gave it a half. A half star. Oh man! I saw it again today. What is wrong with you? You saw it twice, Matt. You've seen it like twenty times. <laughs> well, according to your review, you saw it twenty-seven times. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> uh, my my feelings on it really haven't changed. The things I liked, I still liked. The things I didn't like, I still disliked. The movie still took a for me anyway. Takes a shit in the same place it did the first time. Um, yeah, and so, I don't know, maybe, maybe one day down the line. So, no, you no, wouldn't, no, 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 no. Uh, I went with a group of people, though, and everyone seemed to like it, except for one of us. So, I don't know, people have, people do like it, which brings us to, let's touch on a little bit of news, because I know last time, since it was the Shin Godzilla episode, we knew it was going to go long, we had five people, we just wanted to kind of, uh, to quote Don Fry, go right into it, but... There are some things that have transpired within the last month or so. Um, well, first of all, yes, Shin Godzilla had its U.S. release. That's no news to anybody. But can you? It, it, it in uh, 450 or so theaters, very limited screenings. It's already pulled in over a million dollars. Yeah, it's insane. I think it was like one point five last I saw, or something. I'm not sure if that's that's yeah, right or not. For a but... release that small, yeah, I was gonna say that might sound like small potatoes to a lot of you know people I'm used to American box office, but pretty impressive for a release like that. And I don't, I don't again, maybe we're are, are we just wrong in in the movies actually? No. Oh. <laughs> well, some, something in this movie is really clicking with a lot of people. Listen, a lot of people that you wouldn't expect it to. So listen, Transformers makes a ton of money. Those are terrible movies. I rest my case. Argument <laughs> over. 
Um, and I just saw a lot of theaters are extending it also. Um, so I don't know what it is about this movie that's appealing so much to your casual audience, but I don't know. Best I can say is, I mean, it's it's making Godzilla, you know, relevant again. I, I don't know where Toe is going to take it after this animated movie. We'll see. Um, and then, uh, Matt, I, I mean, really briefly, should we touch on... Um, uh, the director of Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. I feel like no man, one really so... said anything about that. <laughs> yeah, like, man, it sucks. I, there's no way to, like, really... Uh... <laughs> Just try to be so... nice about it. Just... <laughs> no, 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 not... <laughs> I try to be nice. Trev. <laughs> well, uh, the director, uh, Kensho Yamashita was his name, um... He passed away uh, in August, but it wasn't really reported until last month, at least here in the States. Um, that's the only Godzilla movie he did, and he only directed three features. The other one was a teen idol, uh, like tween kind of mo- sci-fi movie called 19 that I've never seen. Um, and uh, he was an assistant on some of the old um, Toho movies, but regardless... Uh, he died at 72, which by today's standards is kind of young. So may he rest in peace. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say anything mean about his movie. That would be inappropriate. <laughs> so. I actually want to I want to revisit that one because I, I see like a lot of fans always talk about that's like one of their bottom ones. And I remember th- certainly at the time thinking it was probably the worst one of that run, mm-hmm. uh, the, that series. So, but yeah. Yeah, but I don't really remember disliking it as passionately as I see other people do. And maybe it's just because at that point I was just kind of digging all of it. You know, I'm yeah. like, hey, he's fighting a space version. That's cool. I, I probably would be a little more. You, um, might, you might still like it. It's just yeah. it's the least like coherent of the Heisei movies. Um, you said you were going to be nice and you lied. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm, I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can. All right. It, it, it's, it's the least coherent <laughs> of the Heisei movies. And it kind of just. Uh, it just, I don't know, it's a clear step back from the, the other entries, I guess. Yeah, but if I watch it, like, tomorrow, I'll have it, I'll be comparing it to Shin Godzilla. So, it's gonna seem pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then but actually, also, go ahead. No. I was just gonna ask, like, the, the, the thing that I hate about that film, by the way, is, is not even just the film, it, it's the score, like, the music, I, I just want to take a nap, which is also Shin Godzilla-esque, I wanted to take a nap during that film, so... Um, I'm actually glad Trev uh, is here because the next thing I want to talk about is something he probably has a little bit to say about. Um, we never talked about the Power Rangers trailer. Oh. Um, and, uh, well, I guess it's a teaser uh, that runs trailer length. Um, but it's <laughs> it, it's out there. And yeah. it's, it's certainly uh, a different approach than, than the kitty kind of stuff that we we remember as kids um well uh i know matt matt wasn't so uh didn't have a very favorable opinion of it but i didn't think it was too bad um trev i know you're 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 you like power rangers what was your and you've actually always said like if there was like kind of a kid's property that you ever had a chance to go and like kind of modernize that would be something that that you you would like think would be enjoyable to do what how did you yeah i mean well og uh og trev and bird fans will remember that on either episode one or two of if it bleeds we can kill it it was uh, early yeah i i pitched like what what uh a power rangers blockbuster movie would look like if i got to make it 
because even back then I was thinking like, geez, I can't believe no one's tapped this to to reboot it as a big, big budget uh, franchise. So when I heard about this movie, I was pretty happy and. You know, kind of all along, every step of the way, every reveal that's been done online that uh, a lot of fans have gone absolutely bonkers about and, and complained up and down, none of it's bothered me. I think Rita Repulsa looks cool. I think the costumes are fine. And it's partly because I realize that I'm not a little kid anymore. And I, I, I'm trying, again, I'll try to be diplomatic here, but it does kind of make me laugh whenever I see people over the age of, say, 15 right i'll be generous getting this worked up about a power rangers movie and and you have to realize this is this is gonna this is actually meant to introduce this property to like a new generation so i'm cool with whatever changes they want to make um not any changes but i think everything's been fairly in line with what i think of as power rangers and this teaser didn't really bother me because they did list it as a teaser now as you said bird it's kind of actually just trailer length so i don't know they're kind of i don't know what teaser means anymore (laughs) <laughs> but if you think of it as just the first trailer that's only meant to be kind of a tease, I thought it was fine. I mean, it gave me a sense of who the characters were. Um, you know, it showed them using their powers a little bit. No, it didn't have Zords, and no, it didn't have them in the full costumes yet. But it's not like the stuff's not in the movie. We're going to see this. This is a movie that's still months away. We're going to get probably four trailers and all this stuff revealed over time. We're probably going to be uh, hit with a merchandising. <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, you know... Overall, I liked it. I, I I guess I can see people just having an issue with the tone and everything, but I don't expect this to be the show, right? And and even though I like the show for how corny and, and tongue-in-cheek it kind of is, um, I don't think the movie will be that. I think the movie should try to be like an actual, like, let's see if we can make a real, you know, sci-fi action movie out of this. And it looks like that's what they're going for. Well, when I saw Elizabeth Banks and Brian Cranston in the cast, it's clear that they're actually, you know, they're not just trying to do like a an intentionally, like, goofy kind of thing. They're actually trying to, like, go for some sort of pedigree. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, what... what... I wish it was... Uh, I know, Bird, you and I agree <clears throat> on... I just wish it was a little more colorful. Yeah, and so, I, I mean, I don't... The grayscale look to it. If, if I have any criticism about the trailer, it's... Yeah, again, I'd like to see a little bit more color and um, also a little more humor. Like, the, the trailer does kind of... Uh, Aim for Pretty kind dark. of kind of goes for an angsty like uh it looks like they're going for the uh, the the YA crowd, um, yeah. <laughs> and there's and it it's doing that thing that every trailer does now where they take a pop song and like slow it down and like with like a gloomy yeah, cover. Well, I mean that's just law. You can't you know you can't fight the power. <laughs> well, on a few that. years ago it was the uh, Inception Brahms and. Oh yeah. And before wow. but, <laughs> before that it was the music from Requiem for a Dream, showing yeah. up everywhere. No, Matt. What I, you're you're gonna bitch about something, right? So just do I, it. I have like three. Well, the trailer didn't really grab my attention. I'm a Power Rangers fan. I grew up with the show, so of course I'm gonna see this movie. But like, okay, this is a minor quibble. But did you guys see that the, the there, there's two posters? You have the the blue the 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 poster for the uh, the Blue Ranger where he's like laying down and like posing. It's just kind of like it's my favorite one. It's the worst one. That's the worst one. Of course, you're gonna like that one, Trev. No, but if I mean, like, look, that one's because that one's the only one that to me is actually kind of indicative of what we think of as Power Rangers. Like that shows a character who look at his penis. Like that's what it. Like, that's what no, it looks. It's like, like the only poster where there. It's like this character has a personality. Like the other ones are just striking standard hero po- hero poses. You guys, you guys have he's... to go online and look at the poster to even get like. But then you also okay. Th- this is terrible to even talk about. But like. The poster with the Yellow Ranger has yeah. this awesome caption, right? 
it says driver's ed not required, which is um, I don't know if the people making the movie knew, didn't know their their Power Rangers history, but obviously Ty Trang, who I'm probably butchering her name like I do every episode with somebody, but she was the person who played the the actress who played the uh, the Yellow Ranger in the first Power Ranger series who died in a car crash. So Look, like they're I, I, be, I just to be fair, Matt, that's not the caption on the poster. <laughs> that was the caption on the Twitter account when they put it out. And okay. that's not the people made the movie. Way, that's like some. That's, way, that's either some, way, that's dumb. That's some intern. <laughs> you can't possibly defend that. You are like. That's, I'm not defending it. That's horrible. But you can't blame that on the people making the movie. That's some like intern works that studio works sixty hours a week. He's like locked lock down a basement. Like, like, hey, make sure like you tweet right out the post. Talking to a trumper. This is this is like talking to a trumper right now. You think He's the director it. of the film is the guy in charge of like the Twitter account? He's sending out these posters. You can't, you can't, like, that's just stupid. How can that even happen? Because driver's, oh, driver's Ed ain't required, man. It's horrible, but I mean, I'm just <laughs> saying I wouldn't hold that against the movie. I, well, no, I'm not going to hold that against the movie. I'm just saying, like, that kind of crap can't happen. <laughs> Worst thing ever. <laughs> oh, okay, we're going to make like, the fact it's that, like, like, it's not like the poster, it's not like the caption said, like, be careful on the highway or anything. You know, it's just. Dude, come on. This is, this is like, seriously, Trump, this is like Trump 101. What, by the way, did you guys see the Jaws thing on, on Saturday, Night, Saturday Night Live? That was hilarious. I don't know if you guys got the little I mean, it, people had already done it on YouTube, though. People beat Saturday Night Live to the punch, you know. That is true. <laughs> uh, come on. You disappoint me, Trev. You disappoint me. You just well, defended something that is, like, indefensible, in my opinion. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying I thought you were going after the wrong No, no, no. When you, whenever you say, I'm just saying, you're defending it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. Mm. Um... Well, I'm the looking. Trailer sucks. Well, I, that's, that's, that's my final. Well, I'm looking forward to it, but I I, I do kind of see some people who, man, yeah, the, the older fan base. I I mean, I, sure, we like what we like. That's awesome, but Power Rangers is. It's, it's not for you anymore. Yeah, it's and even like because I've even watched the Japanese show. It was dumb then too. Like it's very it's it, like it's it's design it it's literally designed for people who are probably like between five and ten years old. It's a kid, it's a kid show. Yeah, it's a kid show. And also, don't forget that if you're a, you know like a, a large segment of the fan base, the thing that you're so protective of and getting mad about is itself just like a bastardization of a previously existing Japanese property. That is absolutely correct. And I'm glad you brought that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it's true. All right, well, uh, right now, um, well, when this airs, it'll probably be closer to Halloween, and um, now that Shin Godzilla is over, Matt and I are going uh, to resume our schedule of uh, putting out episodes based on kind of horror-centric topics, um, and today will be Toho's 1977 cult classic film, House, and you have to say it like that because that's the House. way. Yes, that's the House. way it's meant to be. Um, now, <clears throat> Matt, we do a couple things here, isn't that right? We um, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he lost me on that one too, Matt, so don't worry. You're not <laughs> like, I'm not sure what he's going for on this one. We explore giant monsters and Japanese fantasy. 
which means we might not always be talking about giant monsters. Now, Trev had a very good question that I wanted to save, and he said, well, why this movie on uh, a show that is celebrating, for the most part, giant monster movies, kaiju movies? Um, and basically, when the, the answer to that is when Matt and I wanted to do this, we, we said, well, we, we can't just keep talking about the same kaiju movies everyone talks about we can't keep talking about just the giant monster movies because that stuff is it's such a niche genre that it's something all the other podcasts will have covered a hundred times by the time we come out um and so we kind of decided that we're also going to be talking about movies that um are related in some sort of way um through uh filmmakers or or genre or um or just just movies that we think people who enjoy kaiju movies might enjoy. Um, so the thread, I guess, with House is uh, again it's a Toho production made in the uh, the seventies, which would be considered the Showa era. Um, and uh, some of the effects technicians from the Godzilla movies work behind the scenes. Um, and I feel like if you're into things like practical effects, which is an interest most Godzilla fans hold, and just, just kind of unique and out there, outlandish genre movies, I think this is a movie that people would enjoy. So, um, the too long didn't read version is, um, just in addition to talking about the movies I know kaiju fans love, I also would hope that they can listen to us talk about some other things and expand their horizons into other Japanese science fiction or horror or even different American monster movies um, based on what we're talking about. So that's why we're talking about House. Does that answer your question, House. Trev? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, because I know, like you said, there's other episodes we've talked about maybe me coming on for, and I was just curious how much we could stretch this. I mean, yeah. maybe at some point, could I come on to talk about all the Ring and Juan movies and make what I've been doing for the last couple of weeks yeah. worth it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. <laughs> I would be I, I would be open to that, but, um, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I really want to go for stuff that I feel like fans of kaiju movies would enjoy. Um, right. Like we, uh, the episode that... Well, by the time we put this out, it will have already come out. But we did uh, the Toho Dracula movies, and at the end, I've, at the end of these, I've been saying like, "Well, is this something that you think a Godzilla fan would check out?" And you know, so I, I'll add, I'll pose that question here. If we ever get to the ring in Juan, I'll pose it there. Um, and uh, so um, now, I think it's safe to say that this movie probably blew all of our minds, right? <laughs> yeah, this is. <laughs> I love this movie. I mean, <laughs> I think the reason that we're doing this podcast is because I, I practically like begged you guys well, yeah. to do it for well, like well, a month. Well, well, see, and, and Trev, this might also answer your question a little bit more, too. Is um, I was talking about, you know, okay, what should we do for October? Because as you know, and as, if we've done, as we've done on our own show, you know, we like to, you know, kind of express our love for October for talking about horror movies and I gave Matt a list of topics and movies that we can watch and and take on this month and you know it was stuff like um uh the Toho Frankensteins the Toho Draculas and then I was like you know if you want we can talk about yokai we can talk about Kwaidan uh one of the movies was House and I was like okay Matt pick like 
pick like four topics. Um, and he picked Dracula, Frankenstein, um, and Matango. And then I was like, okay, well, Shin Godzilla will be the other one. So there's our October slate. And then, and then he was like, then he watched House. And then, uh, even though we already had everything planned out, we already got, like, a guest for the other three episodes, he was like, we, we got it, he, he watched it, and he was like, oh my gosh, we, we gotta do House, we gotta do House. That, well, it um, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't surprise <laughs> me, watching House is a life-changing experience. <laughs> and so I was like, alright, we'll do House. Um, now, this is where I typically give some background. Uh, how, I mean, do you, are you guys at least, are familiar with how this movie came to be? Yeah, I uh, actually am familiar with how it came to be. Okay, Matt, how how about you? Yes, I am, but only because we've talked about it so much in the past, like, month and a half. Because, (laughs) again, I was begging you ad nauseum (laughs) to to do this episode. All right, well, this is typically where I give some background uh, as an intro before we get into the movie. Um, Don't worry, I I don't go Brett Easton Ellis lengths in my intros. But, um, so... uh, I'll give a condensed history the best as I can. So shortly um, in the mid-70s, Jaws had taken the world by storm, and Toho were looking for writers to come up with a a movie that would be their Jaws. And one of them was an art house director who was not employed at the studio um, named Nobuhiko Obayashi, and Obayashi was, uh, he'd made some short films and also some commercials. If you've ever seen on YouTube, like, the Japanese vodka commercials with Charles Bronson, he directed all those. And And if you haven't, go watch them now. Yes, they're great. Um, (laughs) And he was, uh, he he went home and he was talking to his, uh, his daughter, who was a child, might I add, um... Ten years old. Yes. And she was, he he was saying, you know, he had to write this horror script, and um, she had just, like, told him, you know, different stories and different nightmares she'd had and different things that were kind of freaking her out around the house, whether it's mattresses or having dreams about a piano eating her, things like that. And he was like, he started to think, like, hey, these are good ideas to put in this movie I'm writing. Um, and so he kind of took the general story that his stories that his daughter would tell him, and he hooked up with a, a co-writer, and they wove it into a script, which was House. And um, when he submitted it to Toho, they looked at it and they said, "Are you what? What?" <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, actually, the the um producer uh like um Tomoyuki Tanaka who uh is a producer who he's most known for the Godzilla and Kaiju stuff um and the president of Toho actually liked the script quite a bit but they they couldn't find a director to do it and so it just languished in development hell for a while and um Obayashi didn't really want to give it up so he uh, he started just, and I'm not sure if this is something that maybe Japanese studio and uh, like laws or or uh, rules work differently. But Obayashi was able to kind of go around and and 
do his own things with the property. So throughout the next couple of years, um, after Toho declined, he he kind of made deals to to uh, turn it into a novelization. Um, there was like a magazine for uh, young girls that came out that like had profiles of all the characters. There were comics and there was a radio play, and all of these things were very successful. Um, so then a few years. Later, oh, he even he even got a prog band called Godego to do the uh, to do like uh, music for it, even though the movie hadn't come out. Um, and all these things, all this merchandise and stuff was successful. Uh, I know the radio play was a big deal. So a few years later, um, just based on that, he came back and he was like, "Look, guys, people love this. Let me make the movie." And they were like, "Well, no one else wants to direct this damn thing." So okay, go ahead. And that's how we got house um and the plot is very simple um there is a group of young schoolgirls, uh and they head out to um, one of their aunt's house uh for the summer for summer vacation and while in this house things just go absolutely insane and uh it's unlike any haunted house movie you probably will ever see so it's unlike any movie you'll ever see. <laughs> um, and this movie was actually a cult, a big cult movie in Japan since it came out. Very popular over there. And uh, but here, it was always kind of um, just something you'd see on the bootleg circuit. And TCM, after Janus Films picked it up, would play it late at night sometimes. Um, but it didn't even it didn't even come out here until uh, I think something like two thousand two thousand nine maybe. Um, I think. Don't quote me on that. And when it did come out here, it actually got a theatrical run um, in a lot of small theaters. I went out to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is about 40 minutes away from me, in a god-awful thunderstorm and went to the State Theater, which has, like, the worst seats ever, all by myself for a midnight showing of this when it came out in theaters here a few years ago. You looking for sympathy here, or what? what's going on? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well the movie's awesome so you get yes done. the movie yeah. was worth it um so i mean uh, that that's that's my... well, what was i doing what was i doing that night i don't know i don't remember getting an invite <laughs> <laughs> he decided not to tell you about <laughs> it <laughs> uh maybe i did I, you know i probably invited you you're probably just i'm sure you to, did I'm you're, sure. you're probably just trying to make me look bad uh, but it was on 35 millimeter, and I was with an audience that loved it, and I walked out just like, I, what the hell just happened to me? Um, now, it, it, needless to say, we all like it. Um, but with you, t- Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you talk about it first because you just watched it for the first time. What what were your expectations <laughs> before you watched it, <laughs> and what were your thoughts when it ended? Yeah, I don't know that I had any real expectations. I was expecting something kind of outlandish. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> when it ended, I, I don't know really what I watched, um, except that it blew my mind. I mean, t- to be honest with you guys, this is now one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, mm-hmm. and, and not only is it one of my all-time favorite movies, like it's just – it's something that uh, – it, it kind of just sticks with you. Um, the, the plot, as you mentioned, is very simple. The characters are basically named after something that defines them within the context of the film. 
you know, you have someone like Melody who's playing like Melody. She plays the music. She actually plays the piano in the film. And then, of course, she gets eaten by the piano, um, which is, by the way, the best death scene in, in the entire movie. Um, but it, it's just it's one of those things like you have crazy colors. You have like the stuff. It's just it's so trippy. And um, I can see how people might be turned off by it. And why people like, you know, Eric, who's one of the other people that have guests on the on the podcast or maybe like, you know, Tom, who's not really uh, big into it, might, you know, not enjoy the film. But like to me, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it's just it's, it's one of those things where like it doesn't fall into the typical horror film tropes. Like it's just very simple. You don't have any like of these weird um, plot. I don't know gyrations where like they're going to try to throw a curveball at you the curveball is you just don't know what to expect out of death scenes like what what kind of crazy colors are going to happen like what kind of what like the mirror is going to change colors on you the the screen's going to flip upside down like it's just insanity from nonstop. like once they get to the house just chaos nonstop. and and for me that was something i've really never seen in a movie before um and I, i don't know it had my attention from the very start and that's something that I, I i i don't even have the words for it to be honest with you like that's how awesome this movie is and if you haven't seen it like go see it if you if you're a fan of crazy insane deaths and you like a little bit like if you like gory films and this isn't like overly gory by any means but there are some pretty like there, there is blood and stuff like that then this is a movie you want to check out yeah man um, <laughs> Trev, where, where you fall on house here? Uh, I love house, um, for, you know, pretty much everything Matt just said is, is dead on. And it is, it's, it's almost ironic that we're doing a podcast on it because it is a hard film to talk about. It's something you kind of just need to experience. It's very hard to articulate. Um, but I remember bird being with you. Um, I think it's when we saw birdemic actually at, uh, <laughs> The Burton Theater, which is a very small little like a uh, you know art theater in Detroit. Well, to, just to, we, to quickly backtrack on that, uh, because listeners are probably thinking to themselves, "Yes, me and Trev did go and see Birdemic in theaters." Well, I don't regret that at all. I'll do it again. <laughs> um, but when we saw a trailer for House, and it, the trailer was like mind blowing, right? And then uh, I think you told me you had already heard a little bit about it and told me the history of it, and I couldn't wait to see it. Still don't remember getting that invite when you went, but that's okay. Uh, I eventually did see it. And uh, it is one of those things where you really hope the movie lives up to the trailer. And good God, the movie's even, you know, a hundred <laughs> times crazier than that trailer because it's like that that level of nonsense that you see in a two minute trailer for 88 minutes and it just never lets up. And it I, is so un- <sighs> I was about to say it's so unlike anything else, but actually there is uh, something I can compare it to because it's kind of similar um, as you said in your introduction, Bird, this was kind of created by uh, Obayashi talking to his 10-year-old daughter and asking her for a lot of input. And he and he does say in the special features and in interviews about this that he really wanted it to be like kind of a, a child's horror film because he said, you know, the problem with adults is that we overthink everything. They and make have, sense. You know, adults yeah, make everything make sense. sense. Creativity kind of lapses, you know, as we get older. And he said that, you know, through the eyes of a child, you know, the, the nonsensical fantasy world of a child is actually not shown on film a lot. And he wanted to create that. And in recent years uh, here in America, we've had something called Axe Cop, which if you guys, I'm, you guys probably know, it's like it started as a comic strip and eventually became an animated series. And what that was was a like a 29-year-old illustrator 
who asked his five-year-old brother to kind of write him a story about a cop. You know, the, the brother just came up with this called Axe Cop. It's a cop with an axe. And he would just have his five-year-old brother, like, come up with the stories, and then he would draw those and animate them. And it's 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 exactly the way a kid thinks. Like, in any given moment, anything can happen. And that's awesome. And it's something you don't see very often. And it's – I hesitate to call it art film because that sounds – that has a connotation to it, which House does not, you know, live up to because it's it's a lot of fun and just so bizarre. But it really is like a you know more strange um, experimental horror film that is also and Bird. I think you'll know what I'm talking about here. Fairly in line with what was happening in Japanese cinema in general in mm-hmm. the 70s. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, even look at Japanese, something a lot of, like pop cinema, right? Well, like, well like yeah, pop- and it, that's also kind of the same place Godzilla versus the smog monster comes from for sure and like in, throughout the 60s and 70s you had directors like Seijun uh, Suzuki is am I saying that right yeah. uh, I hope so yeah, but you know he was Suzuki. doing stuff like yeah like Branded to Kill and Tokyo Drifter which are these kind of bizarre you know pop films uh, just like gangster films but with a more pop sensibility with strange visuals yeah. and um, you know you had like Shunya Ito doing the female scorpion uh, yeah. or female prisoner scorpion movies and it's just like <clears throat> yeah you had movies this, like um, like Street Fighter and the Fukusaku yeah, like the, movies, like... Uh, yeah, and all the pinky violence stuff. Yeah, and, Yakuza and it, papers and the green slime and just... Just stuff was getting weird. Yeah, it was like a lot of young... kind of <laughs> A lot of young directors kind of rebelling against the older traditional cinema, right? And, I mean, we saw that kind of happen here in, the, in America in the 70s, too. But I don't think we ended up with anything as weird as some of the stuff we got in Japan. And and House kind of takes the cake on that. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure as we start talking now more about the story, there's a lot of other things I could say. But yeah, in, in general, to sum up, it's awesome. Everyone should see it. I can't guarantee everyone will love it. But if you are the kind of person who is like, who can get into this wavelength, just like Matt, it's it's almost guaranteed that this will become one of your favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, just visually, there's so much that Obayashi brings to the table. Even in... Just like the effects, special effects scenes, um, and uh, he actually um, convinced Toho just to let him and like his guys do the effects themselves um, instead of going with uh, Toho's effects director Teriyoshi Nakano, who did like all the Godzilla movies and the Dracula movies and a lot of their stuff in the seventies. And he instead of doing that, he wanted to get all his guys to do it. Because he wanted, he didn't want the effects to look real. Um, mm-hmm. He wanted them to look like he. He said he wanted the effects to look like a child made made them. And you you do have some of that. Like you have a guy turning into a cartoon skeleton. A girl gets <laughs> a girl gets eaten by a stop motion piano with with the fingers still playing the music. That's the best thing ever. Um, like and you have a two D animation. Um, it, it's just, he really uses like every trick in the book to make this house and the things in it come to life. And if, if they did go with like a traditional effects director, you know, you, you wouldn't have had such something so like deliriously comical in mm-hmm. this movie. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure people who haven't seen it might think we're overstating it, but I guarantee you not, you won't get like one minute goes by where there's not something kind of visually amazing or mind-blowing they're like wait what's going on here yeah wire works puppets reverse photography like anything you can you can think of is used in this movie rear projection cartoons 
yeah. a guy <laughs> turning into bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all there. <laughs> a cat spitting out blood that floods an entire room. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's insane. No, gratuitous nudity. Don't worry, they don't skimp on that either. <laughs> the, the closest thing that we can, like, for, for, for the kaiju fans out there, the closest thing you can really compare this to is definitely Smog Monster. Like, it's got that definite 70s vibe and yeah. like the, the like basically this movie is the dancing scene in smog monster where everybody well, is on acid with the fish yeah. faces it's that that's, and that's just it it's <laughs> yeah. like imagine if someone imagine if they had the guts to have that scene be the whole movie yeah, yeah. That's what, that, that's, it, but but like tough. amp that up on ten, like instead of having one mushroom you had 12 like that's uh and um there is like and there are some like actual like smart things put into this movie also like the the aunt that uh they visit her house is um cuz Obayashi was from Hiroshima and a lot of his friends as a kid died um from radiation and and so he lost all his friends from the bomb um so like the aunt in this movie like she it turns out she was actually a spirit who eats unmarried girls? Like that's that's what she. Yeah, actually well, you should is. clarify because you you gave the very simple version of the plot, but we should say what this is: is that these these school children end up, uh, these school girls end up going to this house that belongs to the aunt of one of them for the summer. And as you just said, we we get a backstory in the aunt revealing that the man she was supposed to marry went off to the war and and never came back, and she kept waiting for him and waiting for him. And he never did, and now that's what's kind of turned her into this kind of vengeful ghost where she wants to eat all unmarried women because she never got her chance at happiness. Yeah, because yeah, he yeah, he promises to marry her and then never comes back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then uh, I, we're introduced early on to a cat named Blanche. <laughs> <laughs> who Who kind of... I don't really like. I guess the, the, the Blanche more or less is, sort of leads them to this this house in a way, and is kind of the uh, I guess the harbinger of death in the in this movie. Um, and Blanche does a lot of things. Blanche plays the piano. Blanche <laughs> Blanche sings the theme song. <laughs> Blanche turns into uh, an animation that spews blood and eats people. Um, now, uh, Blanche can even close doors and that's very important because you know what they say, any old cat can open a door, but only a witch cat can close a door. Everyone, I I thought everyone knew that. Yeah. Um, by the way, this is why dogs are the best and cats suck. That's only, only witch cats can close doors. Uh, cats are the worst guys. I'm sorry. I just, I can't do it. Come on, man. I feel like all dogs can close doors, but with cats, only if ha- a witch cat. If having a cat doors. meant that, like, your life was like house, I would own, like, 20 cats. <laughs> uh, um, really quickly, Bert, I also just want to say, um, and maybe not really quickly, but I, I'm sure this is something worth talking about. In terms of other stuff that's actually kind of smart, and maybe it can pass over your head the first time and you don't think about how, how it, like, clever it really is are the character names and their personalities. Matt kind of touched on this, but I mean, I guess this is a good time to kind of run through them, right? Um, we have these different characters, and I, you know, so our main girl is named Gorgeous, 
who obviously her character trait is that she's gorgeous. Like everyone, all the other girls kind of look at her and, oh, you're so beautiful. And that's kind of her primary trait. Then we have Prof, who's the really smart one. Um, Melody, who we already talked about, is kind of obsessed with music. Mac, who is uh, the one who always eats. They kind of call her fat a lot during the movie, and she's not at all. But we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll overlook really that. She is, she's always eating. Um, Ma- sweet. Mac being a... I, I was... I didn't... When I first saw it, I didn't pick up on it. But uh, Mac is actually uh, short for stomach. Yeah, that's what they say in there. Um, Sweet, who is just, you know, really good natured, so much so that she, all she wants to do is clean the ant's house once she gets there for her and basically <laughs> becomes her facto maid. We have Fantasy, who is Gorgeous's best friend, who is just, you know, a daydreamer and is always kind of fantasizing about things. And then perhaps one of the best characters to ever grace cinema, Kung Fu, who is just <laughs> the badass girl who knows Kung Fu, who kind of can instantly attack any problem and is very protective of the other girls. And, and here's the thing, as Matt said, that's kind of the joke of it, right? They're all just given these names that completely tell you what you need to know about their personality. Kind of every line of dialogue each of them has plays into that uh, personality. But I've always said that there's a reason like tropes work well and, and character like simple character types can work. And this movie proves it because these characters all do have very defined personalities and actually it works to its advantage and you do care about them and you, you know who they are right from the beginning. And I think some people might be like, oh, that's just dumb or whatever. But I think he's actually very cleverly showing that, no, these archetypes exist for a reason and they, they work really well. Yeah, I'm 100 percent on board with that, because I mean, when you when you watch the film and you see it play out, the girls have a very solid chemistry and they all very much care about each other, which in turn makes you care about them. And listen, you don't see that in a lot of Western horror, horror films. I mean, like I watched a ton of like general slasher flicks and like the, the whole time what you're thinking about is I just want this person to die because I'm sick of seeing them on the screen. At least yeah. that's how I look about, look on it. And with the girls, you're like you're wondering what's going to happen next and you're seeing them interact and you're actually at times cheering for them as opposed to – um, with with the killer in some of the films that I've seen, again made it like in the U.S., you're just like God. Will they will they just die already? I want them to be off the screen. And my my favorite character, like I said, is probably Kung Fu, but my favorite death is definitely going to be Melody's because she as she's playing, like she gets her fingers bitten off and she looks at him, and at first she's like laughing about it, and then the piano like <laughs> gobbles her up, and like it just goes in, insane from there. It, it, I mean, she still has she even still has one moment where she finds it funny. Or remember when she's yeah, getting she's eaten, like laughing? <laughs> her sev- like her severed head looks down at her legs being eaten and says, "Oh, how naughty," <laughs> you know. And, like, what, like, wait, what? <laughs> and there's also like a lot of like weird psychedelic like stuff going on during that scene, also. Oh man, this movie is insane. You have a girl like uh she's she's they they don't have a refrigerator so they put a a watermelon down a well to like kind of like <laughs> like cool it cool it like chill it so they can eat it and they have a like a a floating head just like bites her butt. Like that's a great scene also. The the other thing we should talk about is the uh the ant. She seems to after Mac is killed and they start eating her, like one of my favorite scenes is when the, the ant's eating the watermelon and she like opens her mouth and you see the eye looking back and forth. Yeah, that, that was that. a very Sam Raimi <laughs> gag. <laughs> well, that, I mean, when I was rewatching this today, I was just constantly thinking about how I mean, I don't know if Sam Raimi's seen this, but 
there's so much of a, a Raimi feeling running through this. So I feels, just kept wanting, like, it, it, as we got into the third act, I just wanted Ash to show up and start helping these girls it, it, because it just really feels like a, <laughs> you're in the Evil Dead world. But yeah. even cranked up to still even crazier than those are. It feels like it, it almost feels like a Evil Dead movie, like made to is like a kids sitcom or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it breaks the fourth wall. There's a great moment where the ant like walks uh, in the background. You see her walk into a refrigerator to leave a scene. And then <laughs> she just suddenly pops back up right in camera and looks to you, the audience and winks while the other characters are like wondering where she is. And I just, I don't know. I love in general. I love when film kind of does those breaks from reality, which I think is like an, a very underutilized thing to do in, in, you know, fictional narrative storytelling, because we know when we're watching something, we know it's not real. So you you can play with that more than some filmmakers are willing to. And this is a film that basically says, like, hey, let's just do that from beginning to to end, you know. Um, well, that that reminds me, like the just the, the things they do, like visually with backgrounds and stuff like that. Uh, you mentioned the, the ant walking into a refrigerator to leave the scene um, like they use instead of having like a matte painting or like a rear projection background there's scenes where the background is just painted like on a mm-hmm. wall and it's and it's not like a real it's like a it, it looks like it's out of like a children's book and you see and people like walk like walk along it and then like um like when the wall when the wall when the painting on the wall comes to an end they'll just be in a completely different location like I like that's all stuff that you see in the first like twenty minutes, and I think I think when I saw that, it, I think that's probably when I first saw it. The moment I, I realized I was watching something that was going to be really different and special. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Do you know the like um, like the types of backgrounds I'm talking about? Oh yeah, like the train station. I think it is. <laughs> yeah, they're just like yeah. walking, and like it just ends. Like oh okay, yeah, we're and the then they're spot. suddenly inside, like. Yeah, that's great. Like, I, I mean, yeah, you I mean, kind of going back to like, is this or isn't it art house? I, it, it uses a lot of unconventional methods. Um, so it's art house in the sense that it's not doing something that you you may have seen or something that really isn't trendy uh, but I, right. I you know i i don't i mean he's not here so we're not gonna gang up on him or anything but our, our friend eric uh, calls this movie pretentious and i do, i don't get that out of this because i don't feel like it's yeah. po- i don't feel like it's posing to be smarter than anything else i think that it's it's a very innocent film and uh i mean it literally is a, a child's story and you know the movie bounces back and forth just from all around it it feels like a kid telling you a story and it's just kind of yeah, going I all over that's why i want to that's why i try to specify like i think art house could be a label you throw on this but i i would prefer experimental and i and i think um there is a distinction there and i think when i think of pretension and pretentious films it's like you just said it's a film that's trying to be deeper than it is or trying to kind of you know mask this hidden message within you know strange visuals or or storytelling right but i don't think that's what is happening here i think this is more a director who's kind of gleefully playing with all the possibilities of filmmaking right and saying like i don't want to limit myself in any regards in this like any kind of crazy idea i have i'm gonna do it and that to me isn't pretentious it's just experimental yeah, I, I don't get the pretentious feel at all. Like, to me, it, it's actually more simplistic than anything. The visuals are, I mean, they're just kind of, I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't even consider those pretentious. They're just interesting. Um, mm-hmm. 
and the story itself is, is so simplistic that like I don't think you could even consider this film pretentious at all. By the way, have we talked about the dancing skeleton? Because that thing is awesome. I just have to make sure we talk about the dancing skeleton. Oh no! I also, I also, yeah, the dancing skeleton is great. And I also, when I was going through the characters, I forgot to mention their teacher, uh, Mr. Togo, who. And the reason I forgot to mention that is he's supposed to be at the house with them, but he doesn't get there in time because he has to go to the hospital because he gets a bucket stuck to his butt. <laughs> like falls so down, he like falls down the stairs or whatever. Yeah, like a very like uh, that the, the whole sequence of him getting injured has the feel of like a Benny Hill skit where they kind of do the sped up photography. And even like before that, right, that's when you get this like sequence where they're playing this kind of uh, 70s American pop tune and everyone in the town is kind of singing along to it and like nodding your head. It's almost like you're in like like a weird, you know, episode of the monkeys or something. Why does anyone else find it weird that their teacher is going to go stay at a like house with them? Well, that's the whole thing. Like the girls. Well, a couple of the girls are like in love with the teacher. Like that's the whole that's kind of the fantasy whole. has a huge crush on him. Yeah, but I, like they the do whole... say at the beginning of the movie that initially this this trip was supposed to be like a training camp, which they never say like what they're training for. But I guess that you're led to believe that these girls are on a team of some sort. But the, the, the problem is the training camp is supposed to be at the teacher's sister's house, but she gets pregnant. And so they can't do it there. And meanwhile, Gorgeous, who is not going to go on that trip, she was supposed to spend the summer with her father. She finds out her father is now engaged to a new woman, and she gets really mad about that and decides to go visit her aunt instead and says, well, why doesn't everyone just come with me to that? Do, so you rem- actually, you know, there's a- <laughs> Do you remember what her father's job was and why he was so busy? Uh, yes, he's a film composer, and he's been working with uh, Sergio Leone, who says his music is better than Morricone's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that part cracks me up. <laughs> I like how the film ends with gorgeous, like, like basically lighting Ryoko, which is the woman that his father is engaged to, just on fire. <laughs> like it burned her away in the thing. Oh, man. Also, the credits in this film are, are insane. Everything's insane. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I actually remember, like, you know, a lot of some of the he, there's a lot of, as Bird said, a lot of great optical effects in this and collage work. And I just remember the first time I saw this at the very beginning, there's even like a visual that, you know, it's it's funny because we're so used to CGI, right, where you can just do anything. But then when you watch a film that's made in 77, there are effects in this that I, as someone who doesn't know a lot about, like, you know, in camera and optical effects like that can still blow me away and be like, how do they do that? And it's where... um fantasy is taking pictures of gorgeous and they kind of do like a freeze frame like in a box in the middle of the frame and then the outside of the frame moves to catch up with it do you guys know what i'm talking about yeah i i, I watch that and i'm like man i still don't even get how that works because i just don't i don't know how you do that in the lab to make that work but i mean the, the movie's full of stuff like that like optical effects that if you're like just a fan of cinema there's so much in here to study and be like god that's so cool that they used to be able to do this stuff without computers yeah um, now I watched this movie a while ago. Um, I have in my notes, I just have goldfish. What's the significance of the goldfish? Someone remind me. <laughs> uh, I don't, like, I, when, when one of the characters gets like attacked or something, when they come in, she has goldfish like just laying on her. I don't know why you thought it was worth pointing out, but <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Um, I, I remember goldfish being slightly more significant than that, but I, I don't remember why. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, this is it's a hard movie to talk about because there's so much, right? We're not. I realize people just listening to this who haven't seen the movie probably just think we sound insane, 
But we're not <laughs> yeah. exaggerating. There's like something worth talking about in every minute of this film. Well, let me it's, ask. It's, it's that relentless. Yeah. Have you ever seen a movie where someone gets beaten to death by mattresses? <laughs> like... <laughs> or like when they're dead, they're not really dead, but they're like their heads are floating or body part. Or like somebody gets eaten by like, what is it? A sh- That's not like a chandelier, but like a light fixture and still manages to karate kick a painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the cat face. <laughs> oh, I mean, she gets cut in half, and her legs still keep fighting. <laughs> it's insane. Everything I mean, the kung fu does is amazing. Phone, you know, I yeah, it's it's one of those things where. It, oh wait wait wait! Remember the scene where the teacher is at the noodle shop, and the guy who runs the noodle shop, his assistant is a bear. Yeah. What is going on? Yeah, his his assistant is just a bear, and and see and like. See, that's what (laughs) – that's another thing that makes this movie special is, like, it doesn't, like, try to turn that into a joke. Like, he's just – the guy's assistant is just a bear, and the bear is just standing there. The bear is not talked about. The bear is not talked to. It's just just presented like, hey, this is – this guy works at a noodle shop, and uh, his assistant at the shop is a bear. Like – it, it it doesn't turn it into a, a a big deal. Like that's the thing. Like um, obviously, a movie like this has to be done tongue in cheek, and it, it wants to make you laugh. But it's 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 not like it's not going as, as over the top as something like say um, like a, a Dead Alive or a movie like that, like an early Peter Jackson movie or something. Like part of the part of the charm is that it. it it presents some of these off the wall visual things as just you know part part of this world like when the when the aunt she spends like the first half of the movie in a wheelchair and then she just ends up standing up and walking around and they're like hey you 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 can walk and she's like yeah now that you guys are here i can walk <laughs> it's like <laughs> do you guys have uh a favorite, a favorite character, or a favorite, and or a favorite death. Well, I mean, I, like I said, Kung Fu is the best character. Um, you know, it's funny because when in the in the build up to this, we've been talking about for doing it a bit. Um, right before you mentioned to me that you were thinking of doing this episode and asked me if I'd like to be involved, it's funny because House was back in my mind because, and I don't know if you saw this bird. I, I'm guessing you probably didn't. But recently online, Max Landis actually started tweeting up a storm about House one day. And in particular, he was talking about uh, the character of Kung Fu. Huh. And for those who don't know, Max Landis is kind of a very known screenwriter, you know, in Hollywood. John Landis's son, uh, pretty divisive figure. Uh, actually, he almost wrote the Power Rangers movie to bring it back to that, but ended up not having anything to do with it. But I, I have it. I just brought it up in front of me. And I'll just read you guys the the string of tweets he went on. Uh, This is back in September 2nd as he was watching this film. Starts off and he just said, seriously, the decision to have Kung Fu wear just underwear for the second half of House is so strong. Then he says, you know it's lit when Kung Fu legit Matrix fighting with a phone. Kung Fu is so fucking woke that even after she's dead and cut in half, her legs do a flying jump kick to the villain. She gives no fucks. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just another fuckboy on Twitter. Kung Fu from House, please notice me. <laughs> I maintain that if you are a heterosexual man and you aren't attracted to Kung Fu in House, you need to do a lot of thinking. Yo, but that scene where Kung Fu is having a crowdy fight with a bunch of furniture? Ugh, my bae forever. 
And then finally, he just said, I want to do a remake of House, but it's just about me really seriously dating Kung Fu and just really committing and giving myself to her. So like, clearly he was pretty taken with her and I get it. She's a great character. She's, I just love her. She has all the characters like have a, uh, you know, a, an energy to them, but she's just off the charts. And I just love how every single thing that comes up, she's just instantly ready to punch it or kick it. You know, if you just like, you can't get a container open, she suddenly comes in to do like a Kung Fu kick on it. And then obviously as the stuff starts, everything starts to go crazy and mad. She's the perfect, like kind of heroic character to rally behind. Yeah, Kung Fu's probably my favorite. Yeah, I'm going to third that. But I still I still maintain that uh, Melody has the best death. Oh, yeah. Well, that that is de- – I mean, that piano sequence has got to be, like, the signature sequence of that, right? I remember even the trailer kind of being, like, built around that moment. <laughs> um, I, don't, I like all the death sequences in this. Um and uh is it professor like the smart girl that like drowns <laughs> and like it, doesn't she get like grabbed by like a jar or something like it grabs her hand or something like that i can't remember yeah exactly. and then it and then it puts her glasses on <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that part. uh and at the end like the whole place like floods and there's like a it's still like flooding with like blood pretty much um and I don't know, just the, the, I don't know what, like, what do you have to do to, like, a set to accomplish, like, the effect that they go for, it, it, like, during that yeah, I mean, scene? That, like, that had to have been done in, like, a tank, right? I mean, yeah, and, in, in, like, just, because obviously there's no CG, so, like, the, when you do something like that, are you, like, destroying a movie set at that point? Well, that just brings up an interesting question of, I mean, how much of like, so I know it was very rare for Toho to give a directing job to someone not in their staff, right? So this was a big deal in the first place. But how much of like his, uh, how much of the Toho's resources was he given for this, right? Like how behind this production were they, do you think? Yeah, well, I, it, I from what I, I mean, I, it, it, they were pretty reluctant just be, I mean, just because it was, the thing that got them to do it is that he had kind of built like, built it as almost like its own like uh brand mm-hmm. with things like you know the radio plays or manga is and and he he just said like hey people like this just let me make it and i think they pretty much just said okay do whatever and you know they gave him probably a small staff and just they were just like okay whatever go 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 do what you want and then this happened <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and what, what, uh, like also another a thing about Obayashi is like, if a, if a, if one of the biggest movie studios in the country comes to you and says, Hey, we want you to come up with a movie that can be like our jaws. How did, how does, how, how is, did, <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? This is, this is what, this is what he comes up with. So you know you're dealing with a guy that doesn't just doesn't think the way that you know most people do. Well, it's pretty great because on the on the interview on the so this has been put out here in America by Criterion, which is a, a great Blu-ray, which everyone should get. Yeah, man, um, you should you should you should get that for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's to. it's got like another uh, it's got like a short film he made that's pretty interesting, and then a, a really pretty decent uh, 
interview section with him and his daughter. And in that interview, he, he does say that like what, when he's talking about this idea of children versus adults, he says, you know, if you ask an adult to to make a movie like Jaws, all they're going to do is say, well, let's now make Jaws with a bear. And he says, and that's what you saw, you know, all these ripoffs of Jaws. And that's not what he was interested in. If you tell him to make a movie like Jaws, he takes that more as a challenge of, well, Jaws was this young director who wanted to, like, shake up the system and, and make this movie that nobody expected. And that's all he took that to be. Like, I'll just, I'll, OK, I'll make my Jaws. But that means I'm just going to pour my heart in this, this, like, passion thing. And I'm not going to try and replicate the structure of that but I'm going to make you like a crazy horror film that has a, a youthful energy that's different than what you'd get from an older director. Yeah, that's and see, yeah, that's definitely showing right there that it's, it's someone who, who isn't doesn't, isn't interested or really caring about, you know, I guess what, what the big thing is or what's cool. And, you know, when you ask him to do something, if his answer, if, if that's what he thinks, first thing when you ask him to do a Jaws, like, you have someone who is is not going to be, you know, just your, a workman-like studio director, you know. You're going to have someone who uh, it, who did go on to great things. It's, it's, it's super sad that more of his movies aren't available uh, in the U.S. Um, because he did, he did make a, a name for himself. He made a lot of movies in Japan. Um, he became friends with Ashiro Honda and started putting Honda in his movies, like in supporting roles. Um, he did a remake of In the Realm of the Senses. Um, so he was very prolific. Um, so- yeah, that's like, to me, that's kind of the craziest thing about House, actually, is the fact that, like you said, Bird, it's a cult film here, but it actually was a financial success in Japan. And I, I just think, like, you watch Sweden. This is not the kind of movie that would ever be a big hit here. Not now, at least. I think, you know, back in the 70s, we did have stuff like El Topo and things like that. The kind of eraser head, you know, that kind of hit a moment right in American cinema where there's a kind of this like cultural. God, I'm going to sound so now. I'm sorry. I am going to sound pretentious here, but we all know this is true <laughs> in that there was a time definitely in the 70s and kind of into the mid 80s where people did look at film as more of an artistic statement. And we've kind of lost that over time as, you know, mainstream blockbuster mentality has taken over. But even still, a movie this crazy, I'm not sure it could be a huge hit in America, whereas this was, and it actually did give him a career. Yeah, and um, uh, it, it, it was big at the time, too. Uh, it was Toho's biggest moneymaker that year, um and they were they were actually upset about it <laughs> um and there's actually reasons for that uh the 70s historically and Trev I don't know if you were familiar with this the 70s in Japan were a really awful time for the movie business um mm-hmm. movies in general were not being made with decent budgets that's why that's when you get like movies like Godzilla versus Megalon that are yeah. are so clearly made on like well, smaller geez. budgets than the stuff, stuff yeah. from the sixties, well, you know. Obayashi even says on that interview that that's the reason he was a commercial director because he says that's actually where the money was. He wanted to just make films, and commercial directors were given budgets to make commercials. And he said, "Well, okay, I'll just treat these like short films then, yeah, because I can't get this kind of budget in the in the world of feature films." Yeah, like I, Godzilla movies got cheap because kids were just watching Ultraman on Saturday mornings instead of going to the movies. Like, and and it's not just genre stuff. Like the movie industry was like Kurosawa couldn't get work. 
Kurosawa had to go to Russia in the 70s to get a movie made. Um, it, it's just movie, movie... No one was going to the movies. It was like a dying art form. And so when Toho's biggest hit is this thing that's like outside of the box and super crazy, I think they were probably... I think Well, I think the Japanese studios in general, with the success of this movie, were kind of freaking out because... They were like, oh, does this mean like we have to just make movies like this now? Like, and and it's kind of like what Trev was saying, and even comparing it to the U.S. at the time, uh, with these like younger, more um, like artistic directors who are you know kind of following their own rules. Like the old guys running the studios are like they they're looking at this and thinking it's trash, but then all the young people and kids and stuff are loving it. House was a huge hit with kids, but critics at the time didn't really like it. Um, and a lot of those kids went on to be filmmakers themselves. Like um, it's said on the interview that uh, House frequently tops lists of uh, like younger big Japanese filmmakers, their top ten favorite movies. So I mean, the movie did its job, and uh, you know, I, I think in in retrospect, I think you know Toho made a, a, a profit on this and. You know, every, everyone turned out happy in the end, but... Yeah, it's really too bad it couldn't have got a bigger international release at the time. Because, like I said, I think this definitely could have fit right into that that realm of emerging midnight movies, right? This could have been up there with El Topo and Eraserhead and Pink Flamingos yeah, and things Night, like that. Night of the Living and, Dead and... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, it's... I mean, it, it, it took a long time to reach the U.S., uh... And it's interesting, even even like the as far as I know, the Criterion release and the small theatrical run it had here, it built up a nice like cult following. But still, it doesn't seem that Obayashi's work really gets out there a lot here. I know like there's some fan subs on the internet for different movies here and there, but uh, I mean, this is a director that I would love to 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 follow more. Um, it's, it's a shame that, you know, I mean, but if, if any of his movies can be seen here, I mean, I'm glad it's something like house mm-hmm. bird. And I mean, there might be other examples of this. So in this case, please excuse my ignorance. And those of you who listen, who really know Japanese cinema will, will maybe be able to comment a little better on this. But would you say that you look at someone like Takashi Miike as like the obvious, like, continuation of obayashi like he had to be influenced by him right oh yeah i i think people like takashi Miike, um Sion sono uh yeah I, I mean he obayashi is seen i think by young genre filmmakers in japan the same way someone like um i don't know someone who's not super mainstream here but has a lot of name value like maybe a, a david lynch or a a Cronenberg or something like that is seen here. Um, mm-hmm. Like he, I mean, I look at a film like Happiness of the Katakuris, and I have to believe that's somebody who's seen House. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I, I do have to wonder. Like, I could see someone like Sam Raimi or Tim Burton seeing this movie and 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 it like masturbating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it leaving a mark on them. That was just a terrible sentence altogether. All <laughs> that was just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about Tim Burton doing anything. Like yeah, any yeah. anything anymore. Um, 
the um the the score to this movie we haven't really talked much about beyond you know just the crazy theme song which um, is awesome uh, but the score in general is actually pretty good um cuz Godego who were the band that did it they they were like a prog rock kind of band um so i i don't know i think they they were kind of like probably like kind of like a, how goblin is here like um who did like all the argento st- uh movies and dawn of the dead um but i i think it's a i think it's a really interesting score and it's really the only kind of score i can imagine being in a movie like this I feel like you could put any music in this movie and it would work because why not? Um, maybe you can't put some 41 in there like Godzilla Final Wars. That wouldn't work. No, that's true. Yeah, you, well, you should never put some 41 anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's absolutely Except true. like inside a volcano or something. <laughs> uh, did we talk about the part where the the ant is just eats like a hand? <laughs> like, yeah, that was. He like sits down, and like starts munching. Yeah, on she it, starts you know, like so. cutting it with like a, like a fork and knife, <laughs> and like. <laughs> I think that's the same part that has the dancing skeleton too. The dancing skeleton appears like three or four times, I think, though. Like when, especially when um, Melody's playing her piano. Yeah. Oh, you know another great moment. I mean, we could just keep doing like, hey, remember when this happened? But I, I do on the on the train when uh, Gorgeous is telling the other girls the story of her aunt, and they're they're reading it from a book, but the book actually starts like showing you the the film footage of it. Yeah, and then you can they're like talking about it as if they're watching the movie because they're actually like reacting to what's happening, and it just makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> like like everything else, but and they're then, like, oh, the look pages. at her, she looks so beautiful. Look how sad she looks, you know. <laughs> Um, I also we haven't talked about the watermelon salesman that for some reason just just has a watermelon stand outside the house and he doesn't he like melt away or something or become like a skeleton I can't remember he he turns into a skeleton he he, he turns into a skeleton after uh, Togo shows up and that's the banana scene which is one of my favorite moments well well, he, he tries to sell Togo watermelons and Togo says no I like bananas and that makes that that turns the the watermelon guy into a cartoon skeleton and he just like which scares Togo so much, he runs to his car just repeating, banana, banana, banana. <laughs> and then we, and then when we next see him, he's a, he is a pile of bananas. Just wearing his hat and glasses and everything. <laughs> this is the best uh, movie ever. <laughs> it's so good. How can, I don't know, man, how, how anyone out there could, could say anything bad about, about how. Yeah, have you, have you no joy in your heart? <laughs> House is pure is is pure joy in the form of of cinema. I, <laughs> like if if you're having a bad day, I feel like you can go home and watch House, and it'll just remind you like that everything's okay. <laughs> I mean, even like even the Criterion case on the back says that it, they compare it to an episode of Scooby Doo directed by Mario Bava. When <laughs> when Criterion is saying that, you know you're onto something. <laughs> Uh, no, this movie really is something that, uh, is, is just wonderful. Um, the, uh, the Criterion Blu-ray actually has a small little interview with, uh, Ty West, 
who's like a mm-hmm. hot horror director right now. Um, he made House of the Devil, The Innkeepers. And it's really kind of typical, like, fanboy gushing, but he does a very good job of just kind of distilling why people to this day like this movie so much. And he 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 says, um, and this is kind of just kind of where, where I come from, too, is that it's different in that it really does feel like you're just listening to a child tell you a really odd fantasy story, and it uses every trick in the book to do that, and... At the end of the day, how how can you not really get any kind of joy or interest out of that? Um, and you know, it's 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 only an art film in the sense that it does it it does things in a way that um, you know a more mainstream movie wouldn't do. But I don't think that means it's pretentious. I don't think that means it's artsy fartsy. Um, and uh, I think that it's all done for the benefit of the actual movie. Um, so, I mean, are, are you guys ready to kind of give your final thoughts? Is there anything in particular you want to tackle? Or I'm ready. Right. I mean, I could I could wrap up. All right. Well, just those are my final thoughts. And to wrap up, I'm going to give this. Um, geez, you know what? I'm just going to go. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and and and. And do it. I'm giving this a five. This is five, um, five dancing skeletons out of five. <laughs> well, you want me to go or? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll let I'll let the guest I'll let the guest go. So you can you can go, Trev. All right. Uh, yeah. Just just like Bird and well, as we both said, right? Um, look. If you've listened to this this far and you haven't seen the film and, and you're like, well, geez, they've given everything away. They've told me all the characters that die. They've said all this, all this story <laughs> stuff. Believe me, it doesn't matter. You can't spoil this movie. It's impossible. And it really is something you just need to see. As I said earlier, I can't guarantee you'll like it. Maybe you won't. But at the same time, you need to see it. Everyone should see House at least once in their life because I know both of you guys will agree with me on this. It's not hyperbole. You uh, you hear people say this all the time. In this case, it's it's 100% true. You will never see another movie like this. I I pride myself on watching a lot of weird cinema. Uh, you know, a lot of the other directors we've mentioned, uh, Mike, Lynch, um, all these, you know, Jodorowsky, all these weird 70s exploitation films. I've, I've seen it all, tried to see it all, and I've still never seen anything like House. And I love it for that reason. I love it for how fun it is. Uh, I love it because it has all these different kinds of effects, fun characters, just nonsense, wall to wall, never a dull moment for sure. Right? That's, again, not hyperbole because really you can't be bored watching this. Like Bird, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. This easily gets five out of five dancing skeletons from me. Yeah. Um, th- like I said, this is one of my all time favorite movies now. And I will. I, I just. I just saw it for the first time like a month ago. Um, man, I, I, the the sheer amount of imagery in this film that you're just not you're not prepared for. Like literally, this is a film that you legitimately have to see to even like understand the podcast. Like it doesn't matter what you've heard. I promise you, you have to see it to even understand it. Like, like you think you understand a dancing skeleton. You think you understand you understand a cat like spewing out blood from its mouth. I promise you that you don't. Like, you, you just don't understand it. Um, so this film gets 100% five out of five dancing skeletons. 
Five yeah. out of five across the board, people. Yeah. Actually, is that the something... first time this happened, by the way? Is that the first time we've had that? I mean, I, I feel like maybe me and you have both said, like, a movie's five out of five, but it's the first time where we've had another party on here, and I think we've had 100% just across the board. Yeah. It'll happen again, Godzilla versus Megagyrus. But uh, <laughs> I I do want to point out something you said, Matt, that's totally true, too, in terms of the, this being, like, a pop art masterpiece. You were talking about the visuals, and I, we, we talked a lot about the visuals, but I think it's true, too. Pick, like, any random time code for this movie and just go to that moment and freeze frame it, and I guarantee you it's, like, an, an incredible visual or something at least interesting looking that's probably worth, like, framing, you know? That's how awesome this movie is on the visual level. Yeah, you're you're right. And, and uh, is, there, is there ever like a not like a not dynamic or boring shot? I don't think so. No, this movie's insane. Yeah. Um, insane. Now, Matt, I know I've I've read this to you, and Trev, I feel like maybe probably over the course of knowing you, I've probably I've probably read this to you as well. So Obayashi, like like many, is a Godzilla fan. Now, in the seventies, when they were coming up with trying to come up with a new project. Um, before they rebooted in the 80s, he had a Godzilla pitch, which was eventually turned into like a, an illustrated uh, short story in a Japanese magazine. And it, now, it was called uh, uh, A, is in like the, the word A, A Space Godzilla. No relation to Godzilla okay. versus Space Godzilla. Now, now, Trev, do you have any awareness of this at all? I do not, actually. Okay. Now, I'm going to read you. I can a- already tell you that I'm mad it didn't get made. But <laughs> well, you, I'm, you you will be so mad when you hear about this. I, I, I'm going to uh, briefly. I'm going to read you a, a, a an abbreviated synopsis. And actually, if you are more interested, um, so our uh, our buddies over at the Maser Patrol blog have actually translated the entire thing. And uh, I can even I'll send you a link later um, if you want to read it. But so, okay, here is uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi's A Space Godzilla. In Arizona, strange signals are coming from a dark nebula. Meanwhile, Godzilla washes up on the shores of Japan, and he is dying of diabetes. Science- <laughs> <laughs> That's the best line I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Sci- scientists are able to ex- examine the monster's organs, including its brain, and after an attempt to communicate with the brain psychically, it is discovered that Godzilla is actual- actually an intelligent alien creature called Rosen from the planet also called Godzilla, located in the region where the the strange dark nebula signals originated and is pregnant with a child. Against the protests of the victims of Rosen's rampages, the monster's body is transformed into a rocket in order to send her and her unborn child back to their home planet. So, people, just to catch you up, uh, Godzilla's carcass uh, is actually a, it's a female creature who's pregnant and uh, di- has died of diabetes, and his body is being transformed into a rocket. Um, once there, Rosen and her child Lilin are reunited with the hun- husband father Kunin. The planet of Godzilla comes under attack from an alien race known as the Cenarians, a species of half-human-looking creatures. Kunin and the now-grown-up Lilin combine the Cenarians' general, Gamoni, in order to defend the planet, eventually emerging victorious. (laughs) So let me just ask a simple question, or a a kind of perplexing question. Yes. Why didn't Toho make this? Oh, if that was made now, do you know how bad everyone would shit? 
No, if it was made now and it had a Toho logo on it, people would love it. <laughs> which is which is the one that made the uh, the Godzilla sperm? Uh, I don't remember which uh, which mango that was in. Uh, <laughs> it's weird. I, I, there's there's some bizarre like Godzilla manga, which like a giant Godzilla sperm that attacks a city. Yeah, I saw that. Trev, would you watch this Godzilla movie? Oh, I mean, I would. Yes, I would watch the hell out of that. I would. I mean, I've already pre-ordered the Blu-ray. <laughs> I bet you it's guys... already better than Shin Godzilla. I'm just. Oh gonna yeah. Throw that out there. Well, I mean, things were like happening in that description. You know, I had a sense of a story. <laughs> so yeah. I bet you guys didn't know Godzilla was diabetic. Yeah, it makes sense, though. I mean, look at those thighs. You know. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I guess the the question remains. This is kaiju transmission, so. We'll probably have a lot of people who might not be familiar with this. Would you recommend this to someone who is a fan of kaiju movies or, you know, just Japanese? I'd recommend this to anyone who's a fan of life. (laughs) (laughs) If if you are a fan of Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, I think that you need to watch this movie. I agree. That's the best way that I can frame that question, I think. Yeah, and if there is anyone out there who is also into some other, like, horror-centric stuff, if you're a fan of Evil Dead 2, or even, like, Dario Argento, Mario Mario Bava, uh, Mm -hmm. if you like Tim Burton, um, like, the early stuff, like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, like, just really off-the-wall, surreal stuff, this movie has your name all over it, and go onto Amazon right now and order the the Criterion Blu-ray, because this movie's a real treat. Yeah, and don't worry, it's not going to be one of those Blu-rays that you order and then you watch it once and then it sits on a shelf forever. You will revisit this. Like this is this gets like a since I've got it, I feel like it gets an at least annual watch from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's too much to take in. Yeah, and it's not like Shin Godzilla where you have to rewatch it because there's so many subtitles you can't take it all in. You actually want to watch this again. Yeah, and like you said, you're actually seeing new things every time. Yeah. All right, well, that wraps up our episode of House. So check it out, y'all. Thanks for uh, having me back. And uh, I don't know, I guess I'll be back sometime in the near future. Yeah, and was this a much better experience for you than having to talk about Shin Godzilla? Well, yeah, because I didn't have to watch Shin Godzilla again. So, I mean, that's, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, all right well no thanks for uh thanks for joining us and uh yeah we'll i'm sure we'll have you again at some point and thank you everyone for listening uh so enjoy your night and since this is probably dropping right around happy hollow what since this is probably <laughs> dropping around <laughs> since this is probably dropping around halloween have a happy and safe halloween watch a lot of horror movies eat a lot of candy listen to the misfits do all that stuff all right <laughs>